Luke 18, 9 through 14. So here's what the word of God says. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterous, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You can be seated. Father God, I pray that you would be with us this morning. Uh, God, just, just be working in our hearts to prepare us to hear from you. Uh, God, we know that, that your word is, is good for, for teaching and correcting and reproving. And, and God, we pray that if there be any sin in us, you would not let us remain in it. God, that you would point it out to us so that we may turn away from it and turn to you, God. You're, you're so good and you're so merciful to sinners. And let us just leave with a bigger view of that today. In your name we pray. Amen. So one of my favorite things about Jesus throughout the Gospels is his ability to see exactly what's going on in the heart of man. Uh, It's pretty incredible, really. It's almost like he's got this kind of x-ray vision, and he can see what's going on deep down in people's hearts. Um, Sometimes, oftentimes, it's not very pretty stuff, right? And and so Jesus is able to uh, deliver the exact message that the audience needs to hear. I'm I'm really envious of that because it took me all week to pick out this sermon, right? Like if I could see deep down into your guys' hearts, I'd know exactly the message that that you need to hear. But I just kind of got to guess and pick something. Uh, But Jesus didn't have to do that. He, He can look out at his audience. He knows exactly the word from God that they need to hear, and he delivers it. And we see that here in our passage. Uh, Jesus finds himself in a group of people who are trusting in their own righteousness, all right? They're, they're placing all of their confidence in their own good works, and, and they really believe that they have what it takes to please God, right? They, they've got it figured out that they can do it all on their own. And this, um, this really high view of themselves has caused them to look down on others, okay? They've got a high view of themselves and a low view of others. And Jesus knows the perfect story to share. He doesn't want these guys to remain in pride. And so he tells them the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, all right? Now, when Jesus begins this story, uh, everyone in the crowd has preconceived notions about these two guys, all right? So I, I know Pharisee in our day, it comes with negative connotations, right? Um, we think of self-righteous and proud, okay? But, but the listeners in Jesus' day, like, would have instantly thought of the Pharisee as the good guy, right? So the, the Pharisee is the one who, he, man, he knew the Old Testament law, and he knew it well. Like, he had memorized 600 and some laws of the Old Testament, and he was diligent to keep them, 
right? He, he watched everything that he ate and made sure it was pleasing to God. He watched what he drank. He fasted. He, he did everything according to the law. And so everybody hearing this, this story would have said, man, so here, here's this Pharisee. That's got to be the good guy in their mind. And then, and then uh, with the tax collector, the opposite was true. When they heard that, they're like, there's the villain, right? There, there's the bad guy. There's the dirty, rotten sinner, all right? And so uh, when you see tax collectors in, in um, the Gospels or throughout the Gospels, they're all often listed with uh, those such as prostitutes and drunkards and sinners, okay? Uh, tax collectors were wicked and greedy men who took advantage of helpless people, right? And they, they, would, they would take their money from them and take more than they were supposed to. And so everybody uh, despised tax collectors. So he would have been perceived as the bad guy. And so anyways, in Jesus's parable, um, he, he introduces these two men who are both at the temple, and then he zooms in to give us all a look at their heart, right? He's, he's going to let us hear what their prayers before God are on that day, all right? And so let, let's begin with the Pharisee. What is going on in his prayer. So in, in verse 11 that we just read a moment ago, uh, this man stands up, he lifts his hands, and he says, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Right? That's, that's the intro to his prayer. And, and he begins to, to look around the temple, and he says, God, do you see the other people who are here with us? All right? There's extortioners, there's adulterous people, there's unjust. And he says, man, there's even a tax collector here. God, thank you that I'm not like them, all right? Have you ever said something like that? Man, I thank you I'm not like that other person, right? That, that's what this guy is saying. I am in a different category, God. In fact, I even have a list of reasons why I am so much better than these people. It's not written down anywhere, but it's really, it's written on my heart. I've got it memorized, and I, I repeat it to myself all the time to remind myself of how superior I am, right? So like that, that's what's going on in this man's head, all right? Is he's got this list that he finds great comfort in of who he is and what he's accomplished. So right there in the middle of his prayer to God, this Pharisee begins to list his own righteous accomplishments. He says, I do not take things that are not mine, like the extortioner, okay? I've been faithful in my marriage, unlike the adulterous person. I always, I know God's law. I always try to do justice and keep it. I fast two times a week. I tithe from everything that I make, all right? And, and so we, I think we would all agree, there's some really ugly things going on in this man's heart, right? Like he says the name of God one time in his prayer, and then five other times it's I, me, my, right? Like it's a very uh, self-focused thing going on in his heart. And so everything that is going on in this man's prayer has to do with his pride and self-exaltation. First off, he is proudly exalting himself by comparing himself to others. Um, Sadly, I think we all know how this works, um, we, we know how to make ourselves feel better about us by pushing others down, right? Like we learn that at a young age and we get really good at it really fast. We can spot the insufficiencies in others and then we compare them to ourselves and we feel really good, all right? So for example, if you want to feel better about your financial situation, just hang around with broke people, right? Like if you do, just like these people have no money. I've got a little bit, but hey, I'm, I'm doing better than them, right? Or if you want to feel better about your weight 
or the way that you look, uh, go to Golden Crowd Buffet and do people watching, right? And then you'll be like, hey, like I'm doing all right. I mean, that's that guy's fifth trip up there. Like I'm okay, right? You want to feel better about your sin? Then, then look at people who are more messy and broken than you. Or at least that's what you perceive, right? That they're struggling more than you. So, man, you're, you're doing good. And, and there's some arrogant and ugly part of us that's always trying to lift ourselves up by pushing others down. And it works in any category. Health, wealth, beauty, success, righteousness. The, the quickest way to exalt yourself is to shove others down beneath you. And, and that's what the Pharisee's doing in this temple. He's looking around at all these people and he's comparing himself to them. And who does he pick? He picks the adulteress, the unjust man, and the tax collector, right? And isn't it, isn't it beneficial when you get a pick who you, you're comparing yourself to? And so he picks out the worst people there to, to stack himself up against. And then he says, God, look at my righteousness compared to theirs. Aren't I a good man? You must be pleased with me. But here's the, here's the big problem with that. There's lots of problems, but here's the big one. He's not using God's standard of righteousness, right? This Pharisee's using his own made-up standard, right? He just created it in his mind so that he could pass, right? And, and that's what he's using to decide if he is righteous or not. That's not how we determine righteousness. You and I uh, don't get to go out and handpick a bunch of broken people right? And stick ourselves in the lineup and say, all right, God, who's the righteous one here? Right? That, that's not how it works. Um, yet that is exactly what the, the Pharisee has done, all right? The, the God of the Bible actually has an altogether different standard for righteousness. And, and he actually lumps every one of us into one group. This is what Romans 3.23 says. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The, the same thing in, in uh, Romans 3, verses 10 through 12. As it is written, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside and they have become worthless. No one does good. No, not even one. All right, and so scripture, God, he lumps us all into the group and he says, all right, you, you put, put everybody together, unrighteous. Don't want anything to do with God. Have nothing that's pleasing to God on their own. That's the group that he sticks us all in. Well, the Pharisee in our parable, he has a big problem with this too because the, the second thing we see him doing is he's bragging about his own accomplishments, who he is and what he's done. It's, it's like he's almost created his own righteousness resume, right? Like he's got this great big list of, of why he is awesome, um, th things about him that he's done, reasons why God should be impressed. It's like he's saying, here's my qualifications that sets me apart from every other broken person in the world, God. Here, here's my uh, resume. I believe that I am pleasing to you, okay? Um, these are really easy to make, by the way, and, and we're going to make one here together real quick. Um, righteous resumes are a lot like resumes you, you work, make for work. Um, you just lie about yourself, and you put all this good stuff, and then you don't mention any of the true bad stuff, right? That's the same thing that you would do in a righteousness resume. And so, um, first of all, let me ask the big question. Is God pleased with you today? 
All right, right now, is God happy with you? Think about that for a second. All right, now, the real, true, beautiful answer is if you are in Christ, yes, he is, right? Because actually, Jesus has done everything necessary to make a way for you to be right with God. If you are joined to Jesus, then on the cross, he took the fullness of your sins on himself. He took the wrath of God that you deserved and the death you deserved on himself. And then he gave you, all right, he gave you his perfect righteousness so that you can be pleasing to God, all right? That, that's what is true for all who are in Christ, okay? But let me tell you what normally happens when, when we think about those things. Here's what typically goes on in our minds. Is God pleased with me? And then we pull out a righteousness resume, okay? Well, I went to church today. Like I showed up here. I'm, I'm here right now. And we, we just read our Bible a little bit ago, so you can check that off the list. And we've been praying all day, and, and Bonnie led us in worship. I went to Sunday school and, and brought my offering. I, I even forgot to eat this morning because I got up late, so I'm fasting today too. You know, like check all these off the list. Like, and I'm gonna do all this next week, right? Man, I, I, I think I'm doing pretty good. And and so you say, surely God is happy with me. Look at all. I've done, right? And that, that's where the big problem is, is, is when you shift your thinking away from, from who Jesus is and what he's accomplished to what you've done, right? If, if that's what your list consists of is your own good works, then it's not a, a good list, all right? And so that's what we're all tempted to do. And, and by the way, that can happen in seconds, right? Like it doesn't take long at all to start coming up for your own righteousness to start pulling up a defense for why you're such a great person. It happens almost immediately. Now, don't get me wrong, uh, reading your Bible, prayer, worship, tithes, offerings, those are all fantastic things. And the truth is, like we could probably all grow in those things, right? Like we, we want to do them more, but we don't want to put our hope in those things, we, we don't want to say that because I do those things, therefore I am righteous and God is pleased with me, all right? So, so don't let yourself hope in who you are and what you've done. Uh, don't try to find a God-pleasing righteousness inside yourself apart from God because it doesn't exist, is what the scriptures say. And yet people spend their whole life doing this, okay? I, I've, I've known people, and I've done it in my own heart before, where people will go back days, weeks, months, even years, right? Like decades to gather up all these good things they've done, right? They'll be like, I, I remember when I, when I was 15 years old, I gave my coat to a kid who did. Like, I mean, like they'll hang on to these things like it's their hope, right? I, I walked the aisle this many years ago on this date, and that's what I'm holding. Like, people do that. They'll, they'll grab on. They'll gather up every little good deed that they can think on to, and then they'll bring them to God and say, like, this has to be enough. Look at everything I did. Surely I'm pleasing to you, God, especially when you compare me to others. I've done more than they have. I must be righteous. All, all that I've done has to be worth something. It has to have some value, right? We're tempted to do that. And, and the Apostle Paul talks about this exact thing in Philippians 3, 3 through 9. He tells us what, what that's worth, okay? Paul says, I glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, 
Though my, I myself have reasons for confidence in the flesh, flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reasons for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteous under the law, blameless. Okay, Paul's creating his own righteous resume, right, for the sake of an argument. He's saying, mine's better than yours. That's what he's saying. I have, I have more to brag about. And then in verse 7, he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. For the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness that's my own, that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The, the righteousness. From God, not from ourselves, from God that depends on faith. All right, so, so Paul's saying a couple of things there. He's saying, hey, first of all, if you guys want to compare good deeds and righteousness resumes, mine's better than everybody's, right? And, and he says, like, I could, I could appeal to my family. Um, I, could, I could appeal to my Jewish lineage. I've done everything by the book. I kept all the laws. Like, if, if we're trying to go that route, I would win. Right? Let alone if you, you add the fact that he wrote half the New Testament, right? Like he was commissioned to be an apostle by the resurrected Jesus himself. Like he, he has a lot that he could put stock on, and yet he says, add all that stuff up together, okay? Combined it all, and, and I counted as garbage. He says, I, I'm not, I'm not going to put my hope in who I am, I'm not going to trust in what I've done. I count it all lost because I have found something better. Paul found a superior righteousness that was found in Christ alone. And so you want to you talk about an impressive resume. Let, let's just look at, at just a, a tiny glimpse of who Jesus is. Colossians 1, 15 and 16 says, He, being Jesus, is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. By him, all things were created in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Hebrews 1, 3 through 4 says, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by his, the word of his power. After making a purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become as much more superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. First Timothy 6, 15 and 16 says, he is the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who has immortality, and dwells in unapproachable light to whom uh, no one has ever seen or can see to him be honor and eternal dominion all right in revelations jesus is called the alpha the omega the first and the last the beginning and in um, he wears a robe and on it is his name which is written king of kings and lord of lords okay he is holy and sinless and perfect and pure and and let me ask you this would you rather have your righteousness? Like, you, you want to stack yours up against that? That's why Paul says, okay, mine is worthless. 
Mine is insufficient. When I look at who Jesus is and what he's done, I don't want to gather my few tiny little things that I can hold on to. All right? I, I want his infinite righteousness that exceeds everyone's. That's what I am going to trust in. That's what I am going to stand on. And so that's why Paul says, you can take everything good that I've ever done or will do, you can wad it up into a big ball, and you can throw it in the trash. That's what he accounts his righteousness to. I want to be connected to Jesus because he is the only one who has a righteousness that can please God. And that's what the Pharisee in Jesus' parable just doesn't get. There he is. He's, he's, got, he's got five things. He's got his five things he's holding on to. And he's like, this is it. Like, this is what makes me good. This is how I'm going to please God. And he's trusting in himself as if these five things were his only hope. And I would say to you, church, don't let that be you. Okay, there is an infinitely greater righteousness that is available to every one of us in the person of Jesus Christ. Do not set your hope in poor, pitiful, broken attempts to please God. Set your hope in Jesus. There is another character uh, that is in our story. Another prayer is prayed, and that is by the the tax collector. Okay, and we, we see his prayer in verse 13. All right, we remember this guy is, is supposedly or supposed to be the bad guy, and he actually doesn't disagree with that. Um, look at what he says, starting in verse 13. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. All right, I, I, note, I want you guys to notice how incredibly different everything is about this man. All right, so you, you've got the Pharisee. He comes to the front of the temple. All right, says he's standing by himself near the front. His arms are raised high, and his prayer is, God, I thank you. I'm not like everyone else, right? And, and then you've got this other guy. Man, he doesn't draw near to the temple, all right? He is far back from everyone else. It's like he knows he doesn't deserve to be near God, right? Like he, he, he barely gets into the temple courtyard, and he's like, this is good enough. I don't, you know, have you ever heard people say, I'm not going to church, lightning would strike, or the roof would close? Like, that's what this guy feels like. He, he sees his own brokenness, and he's like, this is as far as I deserve to come, if this, right? He, he's got this heart of humility. He won't even lift up his face or stretch his hand outwards. Instead, like, he looks down, and he's beating his chest because he gets how incredibly broken he is. He's in anguish over his sins. The, the Pharisee has lots of words to speak, but all this guy can say is, is God have mercy on me. That's the only thing he can get out of his mouth. He, he understands that he actually has nothing to present God with. Like there's, there's no list that he can pull out, no righteous deeds, no words he can say to, to make himself look better all right? He, he's not focused on anyone else there. He's not going to compare himself to anyone else because he's actually convinced that he's the worst dude there. And so instead, he just cries out to God and confesses out loud, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And so there's, there's two things that I want you to see in this man's prayer. So first of all, he acknowledges his own character and brokenness. 
And then he also acknowledges the character and the mercy of God. So first of all, when he speaks of himself, um, he's not trying to conceal any ugliness. It's out in the open for everyone to see. He's like, as if he's saying, hey guys, this is the real me. Really broken, really messy, really ugly, right? And, and really, you guys already have a bad view of me, right? Because I'm a tax collector and I'm actually worse than what you think, right? And, and so he's not concealing who he is. He's saying it out loud in front of people and, and that, that is not normal, right? Um, mo- most people do the opposite. Do you, do you know how much time and effort people devote to trying to make themselves look better than they actually are? Like a lot, like a lot, right? Like, like all of us, like we want to put forward our, our best face and try to present ourselves as polished and perfect. And what is sin? I, I used to do that a long time ago. Like that's how we try to present ourselves. And, and even when we get caught red-handed in sin, we, we've got like excuses, right? As to why we sin. Well, I, you know, of course I sin, but if they wouldn't have done this, like we've got all these excuses, not this man. He, he's sitting here before God, He's, he's stripped bare. There's no justifying. He's just confessing his brokenness and who he is. And he doesn't care what anybody else thinks about him. Secondly, and, and most importantly, this man knows the character of God. I, I want you to notice where he puts his hope, right? The Pharisee, he's putting his hope in himself, right? He's, he's trusting in himself, right? This man says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, Knowing who he is and what he's done, understanding he has nothing to offer to God, he just throws himself at the mercy of God. He just, he just throws himself there and says, my, my only shot, God, is your goodness. Like, like that's my only chance. I'm not gonna earn it. I'm not gonna do anything to deserve it. My, my only hope is that, not that I'm good, but that you're good, God. That's the only way that, that I'm going to find forgiveness. And Jesus says in verse 14, that he went down to his house justified. That means made right with God, a a friend of God forever. So everything in this man's life changes for one reason and one reason alone, because God is merciful and kind to sinners. That's what this guy's hope is in. And and so so looking at these, these two different guys, I would ask you, where is your hope today? All right, are, are, are you, you, you kind of like the Pharisee where you're like, well, I'm a pretty good person, right? Ask people. Most people think that I'm a, a pretty good guy. And, and, and you know, I, I've done lots of good things. Like I can list them for you, all right? You, you, maybe sometimes you thank God that you're not like other people, right? And, and really, you don't, you don't have to ask God for much help because you got it figured out on your own, right? Like that, that's one way people do life. Or like, like the tax collector has God been gracious to open your eyes so that you see who you really are? A sinner in need of mercy, right? You're, you're, you, know that, you know that you don't deserve to draw near to God in his goodness, right? You, you know that he is not obligated to hear or answer your prayers. You know your sin is every bit and serious and gross is this tax collector. So we're, we're talking about chest pounding serious. Like it is that messed up. We're talking, hang your head in shame, serious. We're, we're talking, just saying out loud, God, I am a mess, and my only hope is you. Understanding that, that you deserve nothing from God but his wrath. And yet, 
Such is the kindness of God that when broken sinners, even, even as ugly as us, cry out for mercy and we hope in God, he hears us and he answers it. That, that's, that's what the God of the Bible does time and time again. The, the story of the tax collector is the story of every believer all right, who trusts in Christ. It's, it's what Ephesians chapter 2 says. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work within the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's who we are, all right, naturally. And then it says this, but God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised up with him and seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, listen to this, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. All right, and so what Paul's saying here in Ephesians is that the mercy and kindness of God is what changes things for sinners forever. That's, that's what changed things for the, the man in Jesus' parable. God's mercy, all right? And, and God's mercy has a name, by the way. Do you know what it is? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus is the mercy of God. That's, that's what the, that passage just told us, that, that God's mercy has, has come down to broken people like you and I and the person of Christ. Jesus is the answer to the man's prayer. He says, God, have mercy. And God says, I've got mercy. It's my son. And he's coming for you, buddy. As broken as you are, as messy as you are, as ugly as you are, he's your hope. You trust in him. If you want something to put your hope in, put it in Jesus. And, and Jesus comes down, and he does what none of us are able to do. First of all, Jesus lives a righteous life, all right? The, the perfect life that you and I could not, all right? Real, beautiful, God-pleasing life, all right? A real, beautiful, perfect righteousness resume with no defects or faults or lies in it, right? Jesus does what we are unable to. He perfectly trusts and obeys God the Father. And Jesus also dies a substitutionary death in our place. He, he takes our sins and our consequences on himself. He says, I'm going to take everything, all your failures, faults, brokenness, I'm going to put it on me and I'm going to pay for it all. On the cross, that's what Jesus does. He pays for it with his own life so that we can be forgiven and free. And three days later, he raises from the grave in complete victory, making a way for all who trust in him to have a forever right relationship with God, to, to be with God forever in glory. And all that is done by the grace and mercy of God shown through Jesus. And through faith in his son, you can be joined to that. Like, you can be connected to his righteous life. It put into your account. You can be connected to his substitutionary death. All your sins paid for. You can be connected to his life and be forever alive in him. And, and so, man, I, I would plead with you. If you're going to hope in anything, hope in that. Like, that's something that will hold you up. That's something sturdy and solid. Let us not be a people who trust in ourselves. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your kindness and mercy that you show 
uh, to sinners. God, we, we just confess right now, Jesus, we, we want to agree with the tax collector in this parable. Um, we, we are sinners. God, have mercy on us sinners. We, and, and God, please, if, if we are hoping or trusting in anything else, ourself, our good deeds, our own righteousness, our works, please, God, make it so obvious to us. And if that's us, if, if, if we are, are in that sin of trusting in ourselves, God, may we leave here beating our breast and hanging our heads and crying out and saying, we don't want that, but we want your mercy instead. Your mercy, God, is better than anything else we could ask for. And so, God, I, I pray that you would just pour out your mercy on the, on the people here in your church. God, that we would go out and we would live as if that's true. And God, that you would help us to um, live lives of, of faith in Jesus, understanding that, that he is our righteousness. We praise you for that. In your name we pray. Amen.